0: listening to Drinking Socially, the official untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kai.
1: And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: It is the holiday week for us here. Uh, you're probably on PTO <laughs> at the moment uh, as this episode is re- recorded, released. It's we're, we're in the swing of things. It is wintery. It is hopefully blustery. We never get snow out here in L.A., so uh, the the holiday time in L.A. is uh, a bit kind of dreary, but hopefully you're enjoying yours, dear listener.
1: And we hope that uh, you had a lovely Christmas uh, yesterday, since this is coming out on the 26th. That's right.
0: Earn that badge. Uh, you should still be able to earn that badge here uh, today,
1: as far as I know. Yes, we we have technically have not announced that yet, but it will be coming. And by the time you hear this, it will be available. So please do. (laughs) All right.
0: Uh, Today, we are cracking open two completely different beers. I kind of like that we do this more often than not uh, in recent episodes, Tim, where I've got something that is something, one, I've never had before. And and two is a completely different style from what you're having But today I have in my possession uh, Prankster by North Coast Brewing Company. This is a obviously California classic, um, pretty close to, if you want to say, near to me at the moment. Um, And this is a beer that I've never had before. So I'm incredibly excited to dig into this. It is a very large, very, very large bottle. And uh, (laughs) like I said, very excited.
1: Yes, that the prankster is one that I, has been around for quite a while. You're right; that is a classic. Um, and it's uh, North Coast. They have um quite a few of those classics. I think um Old Rasputin. That's uh, yeah. that's from them, right? That's a that's a very solid. Been around for a long time. Um, classic beer, right there. Um, as for me, so to your point, really quick, I do like when we go when we go opposites. It's always fun to kind of compare and contrast just completely different styles. I like when we get two opinions on the same thing, but it's also fun just being able to be like, oh, well, this one is this and this one is this. So um, on that note of going completely different, I actually have two uh, two beers that I'm trying to choose from, and I thought maybe I'd just let you be the deciding factor here. Okay. The first one I have up here is the New Frontier, and this is coming from Connecticut Valley Brewing. This is a triple California-style India Pale Ale with a cute little rocket ship on there. Okay. And then the other one that I have is E Pluribus Lupula, number five, six, seven, eight, number eight. I had to count my Roman numerals. I'm not too quick on that. Uh, it's from <laughs> like Gunhill Brewing Co.
0: Up. Oh, you started from five. I get it. That makes
1: sense. Because I at least know now. what a V is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is from Gunhill. Uh It is the Genius Low C double IPA. Uh, so they have a few of these and then the numbers all um, have different hops. That I believe they use in them.
0: Hmm. Um, I so you're gonna let me choose? Yep, boy. I I think for me, so I will be honest with you. I have had that Gunhill beer before, and Gunhill kind of has a a special place in my heart. Uh, because one, it was one of the first beers that I ever bought on Tavor, and two, it was one of Gunhill's IPAs. I believe was the beer that I used on Untapped to announce that I was uh starting my job at untapped oh wow with, with an untapped glass so Gunhill kind of has a special meaning to me and I, I i think uh i think you might enjoy that that lupulin uh loop Lu, Lu, i'm probably not saying that correctly lupulin. Uh, yeah but i think you might enjoy
1: that one more well i will go that route then um and surprise surprise this one actually came from tavor too if i have an east coast beer it most likely came from tavor.
0: <laughs> Yeah not bad it did the did the whole like uh,
1: the wispy steam coming out wispy, of there, yeah, the smoke yeah. coming out. it's All a right. good look uh,
0: the recommended serving temperature for this is 50 degrees Fahrenheit uh, comes in at 7.6 ABV and Prankster uh, if you've never heard of it before is a Belgian style golden ale and of course this is coming out of North Coast Brewing Company out of Fort Bragg I believe California
1: you are correct since we had those two options, I'll get the details of this e pluribus lupulum. Uh, it is an IPA Imperial Double. It's a 9.3%. Uh, looking at it, it's got a 3.91 average with 782 ratings. So it doesn't actually have a ton of um, ratings or check-ins, um, less than 1,000. So that was pretty surprising. Hmm. But it sounds like these are things that are kind of like quick, like they're, they're doing a bunch of them. So I don't know that right. there's necessarily a lot that sits around um, and in case anybody's curious, Gun Hill Brewing is out of the uh, Bronx, New York.
0: I was watching this video uh, from Epicurious, the sort of like, uh, you know, food bloggy slash uh, send you recipes website. Uh, they've got a YouTube channel where they pit basically like cheap versus expensive items and pick a person who embodies like a whole bunch of knowledge about that particular food. So. They got the guy from Olympia Provisions uh, to talk about bacon, I believe. Um, And then in the video that I wanted to point out here, they have uh, Garrett Oliver, the brewmaster at Brooklyn Brewery, uh, talking about cheap beer versus expensive beer and watching someone else on a video taste test beer for the bubble size and like the. Uh, the smell and the flavor and give descriptions to beer that cost less than like 50 cents an ounce um, was over, sorry, less than 50 cents per 12 ounces uh, was incredible. Uh, so I highly recommend that we put that in the show notes and, and you can go take a look at, at watching someone uh, taste test this. It, it, I mean, Obviously, Garrett has his stuff together, and and he is a very prolific brewer uh, and and voice in the beer scene, but I feel like a complete and utter amateur uh, after watching that video, so... Go check it out. It, it has 1.1 million views right now. Okay, quite a quite a bit, but yeah, definitely go check that video out.
1: Gonna have to go watch it and take some pointers. Um, yeah. On a side note, um, really quick shout out to um, John Holzer and the Four Brewers. They uh, they do a side project, um, kind of like a sub thing, a, a quick review. They do something called Cheap Beer Corner, where they review cheap beer, and that's it's pretty funny. But this sounds really cool to kind of see like the side by side of like expensive versus cheap. And th- yeah, we I'm I'm gonna watch that as soon as we're done here.
0: Yep, yep. So uh channeling my inner uh Garrett Oliver, I guess. Uh, Ooh, this should be good. This this <laughs> oh come on. So I'm drinking a Belgian style golden ale. It's I don't necessarily know what to expect from these beers. I typically associate them with being pretty sour, um and being like yeast driven uh a lot of times. Like that Belgian yeast obviously has a very distinct smell and flavor to it. Yeah. But when you say golden ale, I usually think like, oh, this is either like barrel fermented or it's sour somehow, or it's got, you know, some sort of notes of funkiness. And I'm getting just a lot of, a lot of that, maybe sweet, some sweetness on mine. Uh, but I don't smell, I don't smell a whole lot. It's really cold as well, I should say. Um, so maybe as this warms up, I'm, I'll get different different notes but also to be frank i smell mostly dog at the moment and that's not coming from the glass uh i'm dog sitting right now i'm in a new place so there's a whole lot of smells going on for me how's yours
1: it's what you would expect from a really nice uh double ipa i uh, as soon as i opened up the can there it um it had that nice delicious hoppy aroma it was very subtle um it feels like the aroma's kind of like died down a little bit oh your face when you tasted that
0: not at all what I expected. I would, so it is, it is tart to a point. Um, it, it's also a lot thinner than I expected for a 7, 7.6, but it definitely has that, that like Belgian yeast funk going on, but it's really crisp as well. Uh, when I say thin, I guess I mean more like the, it doesn't linger at all. It's kind of, kind of dry, not as sweet as I expected it to be, honestly. But yeah, lost lot lots of yeast. Just Belgian yeast. I'll be frank. I'm not a fan. I really am not a fan. And when it when it comes to getting into the world of beers that Belgian uh, Belgium has to offer, I just am I'm unsure about it.
1: You've got 23 more ounces to go. It'll grow on you.
0: Or I'll grow on it. Yeah. Either way.
1: Yeah. There we go. So uh, this this uh, E pluribus lupulum. Um, it's it's got a nice little uh, hop aroma going on. Um, it dissipated pretty fast. Uh, I I need to get more up on the actual aromas of hops. Maybe I'll learn more after I watch this video you're talking about. As far as you know, tasting it and flavor, um, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's got that um, like sweet. I don't. It's it's not very tropical. Um, I'm not getting a ton of notes of like um, you know. Uh, pineapple or you know the, the, those tropical fruits but uh, it definitely has a sweetness to it um, that that sort of like uh, hoppy malty thing that you know that you get from from a, a nice easy double IPA more mm-hmm. of like a melon than a um, more of a melon than a citrus fruit if you will it's a very smooth drinking um it's got a light bitterness that hits on the end of it. Um, but that dissipates pretty fast um and doesn't linger too long. And it it's really it just seems very well rounded um to just kind of sum it up. It it's a really well rounded and um it has admittedly been sitting probably for five or six months, so it does make me want to explore more from Gun Hill Brewing. Um, I know that they have a pretty solid uh, portfolio of beers, and I feel like they get touted around for a lot of their IPAs. Uh, so that's that makes me just uh, this kind of gives me a little preview of how kind of really really well rounded it can be. It's not it's not blasting my face with um, with the the hazy citrus thing going on, and it's not killing the taste buds like a you know a really strong west coast style hop forward double IPA. It's just right in the middle. It's very mellow. It's very good. Um I'm enjoying it. So thank you for picking this one.
0: Of course. Yeah. I, I I can say that I think about mine as well, the prankster here. It's very balanced. Um it is easy drinking like way easier drinking than I would have expected. Um usually my experience with either golden ales or Uh, Belgian beers in general is like 12 ounces for me can be too much. Um, It was that initial sort of like shock that I had of like, that's not at all what I expected. Uh, But now it has definitely, uh, definitely become something that I kind of crave putting on my palate over and over again. Um, I, I think there are a lot of complexities to it as it's starting to, kind of warm up or be aerated um and so i i like that um according to the untapped page though it says it produces a floral nose and full fruity flavor and a clean finish and i get all those notes are definitely present here so bottle's good Uh, i grabbed this actually at a uh
1: cost plus world market oh uh, yeah 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 they kind of have a great beer selection uh which i they have an interesting mix of like class like classic california or like i don't want to say just necessarily california but like classic craft breweries and also a a decent selection of like worldwide breweries as well granted not so much on like the um, smaller worldwide but
0: right well and they've they've got like these packs as well of like hey here's a bunch of different styles from all over the world or uh they they try and i mean that may be the place, uh, a place like that, that I need to shop a little more often to expand my horizons beer wise a bit, uh, because this is while not necessarily a, a true beer from Belgium, uh, this Belgian style seems like maybe a good gateway for me to getting into the style a bit more and exploring a bit of, uh, of what the golden ale, uh, the Belgian golden ale, has to offer.
1: Have any of you had either of these delicious beers? You should let us know by tagging us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, we are at Untapped. Or, you know, if you're just enjoying some beer while listening to the show, let us know what you're having because uh, we like to kind of get an idea what our uh, what our listeners are enjoying and just, you know, see what's going on out there. So feel free to tag us. Uh, again, that's at Untapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram.
0: All right, let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more.
1: All right, this week I was inspired by you, Kyle, and your choice here. Um, You know, we we've covered a couple of Belgian styles in the past, and there are just so many out there. And usually they kind of fall under the same sort of branches, and it's difficult to really find a lot of perfect uh, enough differentiation between them to you know put an entire little segment together, but. Um, I did a little research on the Belgian strong golden ale and it's pretty interesting.
0: I would say so. Uh just from taking a, a few whiffs of the bottle here and and pouring a bit more out to uh to taste more. It is I, I hope its history is as complex as its <laughs> nose and flavor. <laughs>
1: Uh, so I, I did some research. I pulled a few things from allaboutbeer.com as well as kegerator.com. So let me run through some of this stuff here. Though Belgium is revered as the kingdom of sanctified abbey and monastic brews, the majority of its beers spring forth from secular breweries. One Belgian beer style mischievously plays on this earthly angle with brand names depicting the foibles and temptation of life itself. These are the strong golden ales. Of the Starship Enterprise. Wow. <laughs> to, Holy moly. Yeah. Uh, Golden Strong Ale may share the same wildly branching tree uh, rooted deep in the Middle Ages as all other Belgian styles, but compared to some of the older branches, it's an adolescent barely approaching 100 years old. So obviously, Belgian beers have such a like long, deep history. It's interesting to see something that's in that category that really doesn't have you know that long of a history.
0: I love the idea, though, that it's also like Hey, this is very young compared to the rest of beer history, uh, and it's just a hundred years. Like it makes it puts the uh, trends of the hazy IPA and New England IPAs to to shame. I think,
1: a bit. yeah. Which are what? Like maybe a year at most. A yeah, years.
0: They feel like a hundred years to me. Honestly,
1: They've <laughs> <laughs> been, uh... been around. The impetus of this creation is a mix of innovation and desperation with just a smidge of possible pilfering thrown in to make things interesting. Morgat Brewery in Brindonk was founded in 1871 by Jean-Leonard Murgot. He came from a family of brewers, and the idea of starting his own operation no doubt appealed to his sense of family tradition. Um, I feel like brewing really is like a family thing. You you get somebody in it, and it, it seems to run down the line of you know, the traditions of the family, especially in Belgium. I mean, that's, you know, things get handed down um, generation over generation. So at first, the brewery did little to stand out among the 4,000 other breweries in business at the time. Man, that's a lot of breweries for Belgium at one time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Operating much like any other farmhouse brewery with an eye toward the dark farm ales. Over time, though, um, they, they did gain a following. In 1900, he handed over the brewery operations to his sons, Albert and Victor. And then during the First World War, the door was open for English beer styles to leave their mark on Belgium. So around the First World War, you know, you get a lot of this, probably a lot of troops and allies coming in and, you know, really kind of bringing their...
0: Looking for something. Yeah.
1: And then seeing the popularity of the English ales, Albert decided to take advantage and began to uh, concoct a plan to create his own beer based on the English styles. In 1918, the brewery released a dark beer influenced uh, by English brewing. They had named it Victory Ale to commemorate the end of the war. The same year that they released that beer, which was 1918, um, Albert decided to travel extensively in UK or in the UK, searching for a yeast source that would bring him, you know, closer to what he was looking for—this perfectly inspired English ale. This search, it is said, did not sit well with his Belgian uh, compatriots, who obviously they kind of wanted to keep things going the way that they have with their traditions in Belgian brewing. And it also didn't sit well with the UK brewers, who were a bit suspicious uh, that he was just snooping around trying to kind of steal what they were doing. Trying
0: to trying to uh, grok their, their style a bit.
1: Yeah. To, you know, get in there and kind of you know, take a little bit of what they had
0: blow up their scene. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He, he did finally get a break in Scotland where he was able to procure a bottle of McEwen's scotch ale. This is, this is where the pilfering part, uh, kind of comes in here. Uh, it's possible and hinted at in some references that he took the bottle without the brewery's knowledge. And it certainly wouldn't be the first incident of, uh, plundered brewing secrets. Albert then enlisted uh, Jean de Clercq, a famed Belgian brewing science pioneer who would go on to write uh, the two-volume text textbook of brewing in 1947 to help tease apart and analyze the yeast of this beer that he acquired from Scotland. The sample turned out to contain somewhere between 10 and 20 different strains. And through the painstaking process of isolation and testing, a single strain was finally chosen as having the most potential for this kind of English concoction that he was looking to create. Uh, this strain's actually still used in the brewing of Duvel today, which uh, Duvel is one of those Belgian strong golden ales that's really kind of out there.
0: An, an exemplary version of this particular style of beer. I think, yeah.
1: The new strain was put to work in the Victory Ale that they had created, and the new creation was still strong and dark, but now kind of it carried with it a noticeable and unique fruitiness. And obviously a new beer deserves a new name, and Victory Ale was uh, about to get its famed rebranding. So the story goes that in 1923, during a tasting session of the beer, a local shoemaker named Van Der Woever, uh, was so taken with the beer that he shouted out, This is a real devil. Um, I'm gonna avoid the uh, Belgian pronunciation because I'm trying and it's just it's not gonna come out right. So we're not even gonna go there. But <laughs> what it what it translated to was this is a real devil, and no doubt referring to the beer's fine 8.5 percent drop kick. The name stuck, and the beer gained so much popularity over the years that in 1960 the brewery even invented a new beer glass, the tulip, specifically for the enjoyment of Duvel. Now that's that's the interesting thing. I you know what I learned today. Duvel is devil,
0: which I obviously did not know,
1: and I only I only recently actually had Duvel for the first time um, when I was in, technically in Belgium. I I was traveling from France to the Netherlands through Belgium, and the train that we were on had Duvel, and I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. It seems very appropriate, and it it was it was really really good. It was one of those things where it's like. It's very smooth. It's very bubbly. But by the end of the train ride after having, it, I was like, oh, I'm kind of starting to feel this now.
0: Hmm. And it was it a, I'm sorry, maybe I'm unclear on how this works, but was that an actual dark beer? No, no, no. This is the, this, it, it's a. Sort of um, the invention of now this light Belgian style
1: ale. We'll go a little bit. So right now, um, so we've got, we've got the Duval here. We've got the and,
0: yeast, right? We've got the yeast is good.
1: Y- yes, so we've got this this dark beer, the Victory, uh, the Victory Ale that now has the E strain in it, and now they're calling it Devil. So it is still dark at this point. Um, it, we haven't quite gotten to where we're going yet. Uh, more changes came for the beer in 1970. Uh, at this point, taste in Europe had been slowly shifting for some time toward the new pale lagers. Here you go. Uh, more and more of these novel, beautifully clean brew, uh, brews were. Dotting cafe tables and bar tops and shimmering splashes of gold, et cetera, et cetera. People, people were just shifting their taste to this. Uh, sales were dwindling for Mugat uh, and other such breweries still brewing dark-colored, quote-unquote, rustic ales. So people were kind of – they wanted something new and clean and were kind of avoiding those rustic Belgian beers to cater to the changing whims of the buying public, Morgat decided to dress their devil in the same golden finery that was bringing their new rivals such acclaim. Once again, the brewery, um, they looked to Jean de Clercq to figure out how to best make the change. And to make the beer light-colored, but keep it at its original strength, it was no, it was no mean feat. In the book, Brew Like a Monk, the author explains they did it by experimenting with the malting process in-house. The brewery actually performed its own malting until 1980. So that's pretty exciting there. Until they were able to make a Pilsner malt light enough to do the trick. So it's all about the malt. The malt's really what's giving it its color here. You know, you get the toasted malt, it gives it that darker um, color. Along with this change in the malt came the addition of dextrose to help strengthen the beer without adding unwanted color. The brewing and maturation process was also adjusted, becoming longer and quite elaborate. It actually takes 90 days from start to finish to create a Duval using their molting process. Um, These changes took time, but finally culminated in the style-defining rendition we know today. So, as a quick run-through, we started with this Belgian brewery that was very traditional. They decided to create a beer called Victory Ale that was kind of based off of the idea of an English ale. Then the owner went to the UK, potentially stole a bottle of beer and brought it back and used the (laughs) yeast strain to, you know, modify this victory ale, which then became Duvel. And then as the popularity of these dark ales kind of dwindled, they decided to try and work around and figure out how they could change the malt up, but still keep the same strength in order to satisfy what people were looking for, which is where we now get the Belgian strong golden ale. And as a fun fact, the process used to create this devilishly good beer, which is Duvel, has changed very little in the last 55 years. So still kind of keeping to it. Mm-hmm. Now, according to the BJCP guidelines, a Belgian strong golden ale should should be yellow to medium range gold with a good clarity and spritzy carbonation. A long lasting, tall standing, rocky, clean white head should grace the surface. Overall, the aroma is complex. It's a combination of subtle malt, fruity esters, notes of spice, and floral hops. It often has a light to medium, a smooth body, which is kind of hiding the significant gravity within, and carbonation is high, creating a sprightly, fizzy mouthfeel. Are you getting much of that out there? Is it, you getting that kind of like fizzy?
0: It's not as fizzy as I would have expected. It's also not very active uh, in terms of like all the bubbles that, that I got as I was pouring it. But it does sort of have the a like sprightly like kind of like you know light and and airy texture uh, when I when I
1: drink it. Yeah, it seems to line up quite a bit with what they're saying here. Um, malt plays a softly supporting background role to the combination of spicy, fruity, and warming alcohol flavors. They say peppery phenols present at low to medium levels, merging well with slightly higher levels of fruity esters, including apple, orange, and pear.
0: Yeah. I I mean obviously the, the esters are the thing that I that can be a little off-putting for me sometimes, depending on the the particular Belgian style, but um is working quite well uh here in in the one I'm drinking right now. I wanted to get into uh Tim some of our previous check-ins to this particular style. I think one that I shared in particular with you was Dogfish Head's Higher Math, which I think is their 20th anniversary or some sort of 20 uh 20th anniversary version of it. Yeah. Celebrating 20 off-centered years with our luscious chocolate cherry birthday cake in liquid form. Uh, which in itself is you know, doesn't sound very golden or uh, Belgian, but boy, was it strong coming in at 17% ABV.
1: Yeah, that that sounds nothing like what I would expect. No. <laughs> Interestingly enough, looking back at my history here, I have had nine beers that are categorized as Belgian strong gold nails. The most recently of which uh, was actually in the Netherlands. Uh, and then also that Duvel that I told you about, which uh, was on the train through Belgium. There's also quite a few on my list from, um, Russian River and the Lost Abbey. They have a couple that they create as well. Mm hmm. Mm mm-hmm.
0: My most recent one, uh, was out of Hoodoo in, uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. And they, yeah, they had a Belgian Golden Strong Ale, uh, just as classic as I, I think it can get. Um, and Hoodoo had a whole bunch of different types of beer. They did have like a wee Heavy on tap, they had IPAs and pale ales and stuff like that. So this is just, um, one of the beers that I had in a flight when I was there, pretty great, um, and and definitely left a, a lasting impression on me of uh, this style potentially being something that I'm getting more into. And I think Prankster just checks that box again for me. Uh, this is this is a style that I will definitely be seeking more
1: from in the future. I also think it's just so it's so interesting that it's like these deep Belgian roots merged with the kind of like up and coming like English ales and pales. And it's, it's this weird, like, but cool amalgamation of several different things really coming together. And it's created its own style that obviously is continuing to, to last.
0: I should say, if you're looking to pair a uh, Belgian golden ale with cheese uh, last year, during uh, the holiday season I did instead of the, instead of the like advent calendar style uh, beer thing or the 12 days of beer I did the 12 days of cheese and I did a beer pairing with cheese. Uh, day 6 was the Mons Gabiton uh, with a well aged golden ale perfectly balanced with the strength of the cheese. So if you're looking for for that I guess uh, <laughs> if you can find a Mons, Mons Gabiton I, I recommend it.
1: Yum. All I have to say about that, yum.
0: (laughs) Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store. Pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast. At checkout, you'll get 20% off all of your orders over at store.untapped.com. With the coupon code podcast. Again, that's 20% off. Store.untapped.com. All right, let's take a look at some of the interesting beer
1: articles that we have found this week. Our first article comes from westward.com, and the uh, title here is A Secretive New Brewery Aims to Disrupt Craft Beer's Social Order. Hmm. Hmm. Indeed. When it comes to hot new beers in Colorado these days, there's Weldworks Brewing, and then there's everybody else. (laughs) The Greeley Brewery had the longest lines at the Great American Beer Festival, hosted a summer fest that was widely viewed as the best of the year, and brewed up 130 different beers in 2018. Now, we covered their goal of brewing over 100 beers this year. And you and I both saw the ridiculously long lines at the Great American Beer Festival with our own eyes. So it's safe to say that this article is very accurate in its description.
0: Hmm. Now I'm curious. What What is this secret, secret new brewery?
1: We'll, we'll get there. Hold on. Uh, many of the 130 beers that uh, WellWorks put out were absolutely delicious, while others were so-so or uh, just plain weird. They say here the Spaghetti Goza.
0: Yes. Uh, on uh, Yes, 100%. Sign me up.
1: Oh, that I don't even know where that would come from. Uh, but it didn't matter what the beers <laughs> tasted like. WellWorks fans rushed out every weekend to get their hands on each new concoction. And I feel like we see that a lot with these breweries that have a lot of hype. And that's a problem, say the founders of a new secret brewery called Social Order Brewing. Well, sort of secret. Social Order is actually run out of another Denver area brewery, but the owner actually won't say which one it is. Instead, he wants people to try social orders beers, the first of which will be hitting a few bars and liquor stores in the uh, Denver area uh, this week, which is the week of the 17th, and decide for themselves whether they like it regardless of who brewed it or what name is attached. Now, there's a quote here. He says, uh, we don't want it to be connected to anybody. We just want customers to try the liquid inside and decide for themselves whether they like it or not without worrying about what's on the label. Interesting. Very can gu- interesting. Can, can you guess what style the first release is?
0: I'm gonna say Belgian style golden ale.
1: That would be that would be kind of mixing it up a bit, but you know, <laughs> sticking with the trend, it's actually a hazy multi double IPA that is called Five Eight Four Seven Three, which is just shy of 11% ABV, and was brewed with Jester and Medusa hops, two of which I have not heard of. I think they made that up.
0: I would love it if those were also made up. They make up the hop names, they make up the beer names, they make up the style. They just say, it's a beer, you try it, let us know what you think. That would not be that bad. I so, There's something to the mystery of, of a beer. And obviously, like, also there's something to the name of a beer where you expect, like, boy, this is going to be great. It's called Unicorn, you know, Tears or whatever. And, like, now I expect it to taste like magic. But <laughs> in actuality, it's a really strange like light lager uh and it's it's not what you expected and you're disappointed strictly by the name and not by the the flavors that you're tasting. I do love the idea of blind taste testing. I think that it kind of embodies the whole G A B F mentality and and you know very uh color Coloradan. Uh so it seems seems like it it's all pretty pretty good so far. I'm also curious though how folks would feel about this. How would, how would they feel about ordering it? How, you know, are they, are they going to be able to check it in properly? Well, (laughs) if if the, if there's not really a, a brewery or a name attached to it.
1: Yeah. If you go in and you see a beer called five, eight, four, seven, three, uh, from a brewery that you've never heard of called social order. Are you going to order it? That's, I mean, sure. They're trying, obviously they're trying to get the hype out about it. Um, but, it's interesting because, like, you're hyping the anti-hype. Social order's founders emphasize that they aren't t- taking a shot at Wellworks. They say they make great stuff, but they, they just want people to think about the beer more than the brand. And I feel like, um, you know, like I said, craft beer is really – it's really strongly about the brands, and the brands have built the hype. And, I mean, granted, you know, majority of the brands built the hype because they make great beer. So it's it's it's, there's obviously a reason why they're hyped. Um, But, you know, over time, you could maybe like as as they continue to be hyped and people continue to get it, maybe the quality goes down, but they're still hyped because of who they are. It's hard to really figure out. There's got to be some sort of like calculation or equation or way to like measure. But then again, it's all subjective. So how can you even say whether or not the quality goes down? Because everyone it's it's a very weird psychological thing.
0: I, I think there are yeah th- there there are folks also i think in this sphere that believe um in doing things like not checking ratings on a beer before you order it strictly ordering a beer based on like does this sound good it says you know it is a uh it's an ipa brewed with mosaic hops and dry hopped with Citra or whatever, whatever beer, right? Like it, I'm not, you don't have to always check the ratings of a beer or check who it's by or whether it was a collab with somebody to know whether or not that sounds like something that you would enjoy. Um, I I get that. I 100% get that. I think there are perfect times to kind of just focus solely on the beer. Uh, and there are times where you, you do like you're making a conscious purchase here on a beer and and or buying a four pack or whatever. And you want to make sure that um, it's something that would align with your taste buds, Uh, not necessarily with an entire community, but Hey, do the people I follow on the tap also like this particular beer? Like those, those types of things I think become very, very useful. And um, it's, I'm interested to see how this is received. And I'm also interested for this particular brewery to be unmasked eventually. And and find out much like that entire series where the magician uh, explained all oh, of the tricks, yeah, he had on, space on a too. television show. The reveal is going to be the the moment where we either are kicking ourselves for you know following this because t- turns out it's Weldworks. yeah, right, along.
1: exactly, exactly. When that that would be that would we'll be see. hilarious. Um, uh, Wrapping up this article really quick, one founder says it can go both ways. Some breweries make great stuff, but they don't have the name, so people don't give them much uh, of a chance. It can also affect styles, while New England-style uh, IPAs are hot right now. He says there is no way a brewery could sell a Dunkel, uh, for example, unless it was connected to a hot brand. Now, I can't. Can you imagine, like, okay, everybody, go get the next uh, Monkish Dunkel.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. I can definitely see that because you'd be like, "Oh man, I've never had a beer like this before." And in a taste test, you probably would have picked, you know, a a a, a bottled beer from World Market over over the actual brewed Dunkel from Monkish. Which is not to rag on Dunk on on Dunkish. I <laughs> I was dunking on Monkish, uh, <laughs> Dunkish, I guess. Oh, boy. Well, it's it's
1: also, it's also you know there are going to be people that will be like, oh, my God, this brewery came up with this brand new style. It's called a dunkel, And you'll be like, okay, that's obviously a very classic style that's been around for forever. Uh, Social Order plans to release a beer once every quarter, and the next one will likely be in a style that doesn't get much attention, possibly like the Dunkle. Uh, the owners are hoping to do some secret collaborations as well. Now, now you know somebody's already gonna be snooping about this, and I'm just I gotta follow this because now I want to know. Like, it, we have to know who this is, and but see now the
0: the hype is building around the secretive aspect of it, and not necessarily about the beer. And so now it's like it's just another form of hype, people.
1: Yeah. Oh boy. All right, let's move on before let's move on before Kyle goes off on this. <laughs> Our next article comes from brewbound.com. This one's quite interesting. Uh, Brewers Association Board agrees to revise craft brewer definition.
0: Does it start with a K? Is it K-R-A-F-T? And, <laughs> and does it have anything to
1: do with mac and cheese? I, I wish. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if anybody's ever done a mac and cheese beer.
0: Oh, most likely. If there's a spaghetti goza, there's got to be a, a mac a mac and cheese uh pastry stout or something i have no idea
1: Uh, citing a need to remain flexible at a time when a growing number of craft breweries are experimenting with non-traditional beer offerings the brewers association announced that it it has once again revised the craft brewer definition the ba which represents the interests of small and independent u.s craft beer companies said its board of directors approved a revised craft brewer definition that replaces the quote-unquote traditional pillar with a simpler brewer stipulation the elimination of the traditional pillar also further underscores the ba's effort to prioritize the small and independent components of its definition under the previous definition a craft brewer was defined as small which is producing fewer than six million barrels independent which means less than 25 percent owned by uh, a non-craft brewer And traditional, which means a majority of of its total volume must be derived from traditional or innovative brewing ingredients. The Brewers Association craft brewer definition is more relevant than ever in this climate, particularly the independent piece of the definition, the BA wrote in an FAQ that accompanied the announcement. The shift helps allow for innovation and ingenuity. Moving forward, BA-defined craft brewers will no longer need to derive a majority of their volume from beer. In addition to meeting the smaller and independent pillars of the organization's definition, a BA-defined craft brewer must possess a brewer's notice from the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau and, quote-unquote, make beer. Additionally, the new definition enables companies that primarily engage in the act of cider-making, winemaking, and hard seltzer production – but also hold a TTB brewer's notice and brew a small amount of beer to be counted in the BA's annual craft brewer data set. In an email to BrewBound, uh, the Brewers Association president and CEO Bob Peace said, a majority of the group's members who waited on the proposed changes to the definition were in favor of the revision. Uh, We need to keep up with the innovations now and attempt to create definition that builds room or builds in room for future innovations, he wrote. The purpose of the definition is not to limit craft brewer creativity, but to allow for it. The last time the definition received an update in 2014, sparkling seltzers weren't even part of the conversation. Who knows what's next? Now, to me, I feel like the Brewers Association is very much focused on the independent part, which they did say in this article. Um, we obviously we have the independent uh, craft beer badge, which we have done in association with the Brewers Association. That's a mouthful right there. Um, And that is for, you know, those independent breweries that have less than 25% ownership by a non-craft brewer. And I think that's great. And I really think they should continue to push and support these smaller breweries and really kind of drive that up. But to a degree, this kind of seems like a way to just bump your numbers, because now you're including all these things that we as beer drinkers might not consider to be something that falls into this and I did if you go and you continue reading this article there are uh, there is a mention at the end of uh, a specific brewery that does call them out on Twitter talking about how it it doesn't really make a ton of sense uh, because you know a craft brewer isn't necessarily somebody who's going to be making this other stuff. You know, there is a lot of innovation in this, in this area. There's, there's now um, THC and CBD infused beers. There's the sparkling seltzers. There's obviously they, now they want to include cider, which I mean, that does make sense a bit. And there's all these things that these breweries, these craft breweries that do make beer are also making these thing, these other sort of types of things and really branching out and trying to innovate. And they should, in theory, all be counted because they're coming from a brewery. But uh, it's 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 weird because you're like uh, the Brewers Association. It, it's always been such a beer-centric thing. Now you're thinking mm-hmm. wine, cider, sparkling, seltzer, et cetera, et cetera. It, it does seem like an interesting way to kind of like make your numbers look a little better, it's, maybe.
0: It, it definitely seems like they're trying to slice the pie. It's the same pie. We still have all the brewers in that pie, right? But they're trying to slice it in different ways so that everyone sort of gets their piece and everyone feels like they are in their own camp and can be identified as such through words and and specific jargon that are uh, related to the industry in general. Um, and I get that. Uh, it's to their best it, it is in their best interest to try to identify these types of things. to one, help to uh, help to classify them, and like you said, provide numbers on the state of the industry. And two, I think also, try. it it may not be specifically about judging, but it's kind of about like trying to get a 50,000 foot view of what's going on in the industry. And to do that, they're, again, I I hate to use this analogy, but they're slicing the pie in all these different ways so that um, when you're looking at it holistically, it is divided into these sort of like, Noticeably different groups. That here are the attributes that we're giving to every single one. We can't just say like it's beer. It's a big beer pie. Everybody's happy. Mm. Uh, it 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 is sort of like hey, you know, I'm giving special interest to kind of like all those different groups at at the same time.
1: It, it is nice too, though, that it does it does open up room for that innovation because we, you know, as as I go through and gather articles for this show it, every other week, there's. Uh, one or two new breweries that are announcing a THC or CBD infused beer. Now that, you know, legalization of that is becoming more and more prevalent around our country and the world, um, you know, that's going to be becoming a popular thing. And how do you classify that? We've seen the rise in sparkling seltzers and, you know, it's not just the big breweries that are making those things. There are some small that are doing it. So it, I, I get the idea that it is being more inclusive Um, it's just, it's very, it's, it's hard. It's going to take a little bit of time to wrap my head around the, you know, something that's been so targeted at beer now, kind of opening it up. And, you know, we just have to be open-minded, I guess, to accepting these new forms that are being created by the breweries that we love anyway. So our next article comes from WashingtonPost.com. Speaking of craft beer, the Denver Broncos latest pickup, a Bud Light pouring robot that delivers beer. The with the push of a button.
0: That's who the secret brewer is. It's the it's the Denver Broncos. They're the ones who are putting out the beers. It's the <laughs> it's the football players. It's uh no I've I have no idea. What <laughs> I wanna see how this works because the innovation, the places that are driving the beer technology and like the fill up the cup from the bottom or pour the frozen foam on top of the beer, that seems like the fun stuff in in the beer tech world and I'm interested to see what the Denver Broncos are cooking up here.
1: Last month, a robotic bartender made its debut inside the futuristic-looking restaurant in Prague where intrepid guests place their orders via an app. Little did many Americans know, U.S. engineers were simultaneously placing the finishing touches on our own alcohol-pouring machine known as the UR5E. And thus, a new robotic arms race was underway. Trying to keep it together there. Uh,
0: no, I've seen beer pouring robots in Japan before, uh, specifically for Japanese-brewed beers, and it was spectacular. The The beer got poured. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show before, but the beer got poured into a glass that is tipped by a little robot thing. And then the foam was added separately on top, and then it would <laughs> back, you'd grab the beer, and it would be done. Pretty
1: cool. I feel like Japan gets all the cool robot stuff though. I mean,
0: it it does have pretty much. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh while the Eastern European robot that we mentioned in Prague pours guests glasses of expensive wine, its American counterpart remains true to its roots, serving up ice cold bud light straight from the keg. On Saturday, uh, which I believe, I don't know when this article was published. It was published on the 13th, so that was last week. So this has already passed. The robot is scheduled to make its official debut in Mile High Stadium, the team said, where the Denver Broncos are facing off against the Cleveland Browns. The machine will be at least the second known robot to pour fans beer inside an NFL stadium. Apparently, in Florida, a robot produced by the robotics company Fanuc and employed by the Jacksonville Jaguars, quote unquote, has also been serving Bud Light to fans on game days. The mechanical arm manufactured by Universal Robotics and programmed by MSI Tech serves beer from a machine that fills plastic cups up from the bottom using a magnet. So we've seen those, the bottom filling cups. Yeah. And it's, it's a little robotic arm that reaches over, grabs the cup, slaps it down on the little base, fills it up, gives it to you. Unlike a human bartender, the UR five E never spills a drop of beer, according to Mike Barrett, MSI Tech's vice president.
0: <laughs> it also fills it like halfway up. So if you if you ever if you ever get a pour from a stadium, they just it it is all over the counter. No matter what, you are going to end up slopping some of that onto the floor as you walk through the stadium trying to find your seat again.
1: I don't know i've I've been pretty successful at Dodger Stadium getting a a really good pour
0: they they're probably great at it because here at least at Dodger Stadium or down at Peco Peco Park uh they've got plenty of like craft brewing uh places and and folks who have poured lots of beers before um it's the stands where you're like hey give me give me that twenty four ounce and you're there's just like here's a bucket here's a bucket of beer and and take it to your seat uh I just think that this is it's cute right this is this is kind of cute watching the the robot arm grab a cup it's not even a cup from it it is a single cup all by itself from a pedestal grabs the single cup moves over puts it on it's not efficient it is gimmicky and it's i guess fun cuz you press a button and it does it but it's 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 i guess fun good good on you i think I think the Denver Broncos need to take it a step further and somehow incorporate a Bronco or that wild-looking blue horse from the Denver airport. Something horse-related needs to be going on here where maybe the horse pours you some some beer. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever they need to do to make this like a more uh, team-centric uh, beer-pouring experience. I like taking a break and going from my seat to the like you know the food kiosk area grabbing a beer uh, and then going back to my seat i I kind of there are times at which I relish that moment, let's say like the fifth inning of a baseball game where you're getting beat pretty bad and you just need to leave and go maybe find a foot long somewhere or something um this this would be a very fun like gimmick to to watch i could see a line of people you know uh waiting for this kind of thing just to say i got my beer poured by a robot and going back to your seat
1: and i guarantee you i guarantee you that you or i with very little bar experience could pour a beer faster and safer and not spill a drop than this little robot arm i watched the video i feel like i could pour a beer faster and i don't i've never i've never poured a beer from a tap and i feel like i could still do it (laughs) i don't know
0: yeah yeah i the future
1: the future is upon us
0: the future is here and i beer beer pourers of the world uh do not fear your job is not in jeopardy yet
1: our last article comes from my favorite vinepair.com yingling rolls out 1800s era cans bourbon barrel aged beer to mark 190th anniversary DG Yingling and Son, the oldest brewery and largest independent brewing company in the nation, is celebrating its 190th anniversary with a series of limited edition beer releases. Now, whether it's specific beers, not not so much, but the can art is the part that we're more focused on. Beginning this month and continuing through April, Yingling will release five limited edition cans of Yingling Lager, one per month, showcasing how the label design has actually evolved over time. Interesting.
0: I this to me, looking at these now, I'm I'm over at VinePair.com now. Uh, which this is in a section they call Booze News, which very good VinePair. Uh, these are very cool. I I like that. One, they're consistent across all of them. Um, but two, like the the little illustration changes. To me, it feels like collecting the different quarters back when, do you remember this, where the quarters would do different states? they do like three or four a year, and you would try and fill your book with all those quarters to try and get them all. Got to catch them all. But
1: my my son recently started obsessing over Pokemon again, so that's hitting right at home. Uh, Ah, It's really cool seeing the evolution, too, because if there's something that as a designer i really like it's looking back at say like pepsi or coca-cola some of these really prolific brands that have been around for forever and seeing the evolution from like this this really like whimsical hand illustrated like swooshy right. and right. swishy um thing To
0: it's not clear whether you're drinking a beer or about to crack open a can of motor oil like it, the both of them are designed exactly the
1: same <laughs> that's that's precisely it that's yes Um, So, in addition to these cans, which I'm going to have to keep an eye out for now, uh, they're actually on January 11th. The brewery will release a limited edition bourbon barrel reserve beer at its Pottsville, Pennsylvania location. So, if you're nearby on January 11th, you're going to want to stop by because this beer was actually aged in caves under the brewery that were hand dug in the 1800s.
0: The caves were hand dug,
1: yeah? Yes, correct. Okay, got it. Huh. So the, the caves, they were they were hand-dug, and the, they haven't actually been used since Prohibition. Wow. Or since before Prohibition, excuse me. Yeah. Sure, maybe a little gimmicky, whatever, but it's still really neat to, like, get that historical value in it. This beer that's been aged in these caves that somebody dug out themselves, not a tractor, somebody with a shovel. Right. Dug out, and they haven't been used since before prohibition that's that's pretty cool and honestly i wish i was there just to kind of taste this you know piece of history
0: i would take a tour i would i would love to like actually just see this we don't get a lot of this in california most of the old quote unquote older buildings um are stuff that was from like you know 1600 seventeen hundreds, 1800s that are california missions and we have a lot a lot of our culture <laughs> or a lot of our Fourth grade exploits are around the mission system in California. So that's kind of what's hitting home for me right now. Um, but knowing that there is like this prohibition era stuff and there is this, uh, deep, if you would, history to, uh, to this cave. Um, yes, sh- I'm going to try to not put as many jokes in here as, as I have heard. I've I should, heard, I should, dear have listeners, anything. the, the puns, they're just landing flat with you.
1: Sometimes we just, we try too hard. That's the problem. You're
0: right. You're right. You're right.
1: So wrapping this up, Yingling, they're based in Pottsville, as I said, and they've been there since 1829. They were actually originally called Eagle Brewery, uh, which is why its logo is still an eagle today.
0: I assume they're not going for uh, like 190th anniversary prices for this. This isn't a five cent cheeseburger situation or anything. Oh, I wish. That'd be nice. That would be great, wouldn't it? I was mostly surprised looking at these cans, mostly surprised that they weren't one of those like church key style, you know, crack open the top with a a, a device type things. They are still in their like modern uh, can, but with just a different design on the side. So if you see these uh, for the next couple months, I guess they're going to be releasing one at a time. Go check them out.
1: You can find the link uh, if you want to see what they look like. You can find the link in our show notes. And it's it's a nice little evolution from like a building to an eagle with a keg to different versions to what they're at now. Um, I just it's it's cool. It's it's neat to see, especially for a brewery that has such a long history to be able to reach back and kind of pull that back out for everyone.
0: Yep. And if you'd like to see those, of course, you can go check those out at podcast dot And if you've got any questions for us, be sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at Untapped Everywhere. And, of course, leave a rating or review on iTunes. We love reading those and seeing what you guys think about the show. Until next week.
1: Cheers. Cheers.